What's going on, nerds? Before we get to this episode of Nerds on History, I want to take a second to talk to you guys about our other podcast, Nerds on Film. Every week, Brian, Sarah, Kevin, and myself talk about movies, we make some jokes, and we say a lot of bad words. And if you're a fan of bad words, you're going to want to go listen to that podcast after you're done listening to this one, because Nerds on History won't let us say f***, c***, mother huge and tiny little or enjoy. Oh, man, these guys are going to be so surprised. Uh, they think I'm actually going away for a little while, but nope, I'm going to come back for one more episode. Let me just get my notes together in here. And the... Oh, hi. What what are you doing here? Uh, oh, well, I, I always knew it would be you. Eric, oh my god! Eric! Who... Rose... Who did this to you? Rose... No, don't move, don't move! Who did this to you? Rose... Who did this to you? Rose who? Rosebud? No. Rose Grushin. Museum. Worked there... About ten years. Totally unrelated. Ugh. Eric? Eric! No! Uh, oh, wait, no, he's, he's just in a coma. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. And uh, as you guys know, Eric Brickmont, my dear friend and co-host, is on paternity leave. And is in a coma. So we will be, uh, for the month of March, we will be having a guest co-host every single week. And tonight I would like to welcome another dear friend of mine and my co-founder of Nerdonomy with myself, Mr. Dave McGuire. Well, hello. 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 How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm real good. Yeah? Sorry to hear about Eric getting shot. That was... You know, I just, It's awkward. Yeah. Very awkward. awful. Because he was totally found in his boxers and... Which is, I mean, knowing that you guys are going to record so soon, why didn't he have pants on? I think he was going to run into the house and change there's, real quick. There's but... a lot of questions. Yeah. A lot of unanswered questions. Yep. This is interesting because we, we haven't done a podcast with just you and me since, since the... Nerds on Film number since, two. Yeah. Pretty number much. one. Oh, yeah. Number two because it was just you and me. Yeah. Because number one was you, me, and Robert. In my office. Um, yes, I have an office. It's not a real office, but I call it my office. Yeah. Sitting at my desk with one mic. We had one mic back then. No, we, we had two. I, bar I borrowed one, though, but it was the only oh. one that it was the only one that I, oh, that I owned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've come so far. Now we have four mics and mic stands. Right. Ironic, though, because we were talking about Ghostbusters 3 when we were doing that episode. I know. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Now, really sad because of Harold Ramis passing right. away. Aww. Doesn't really have anything to do with history. but Not at all. <clears throat> but it's it's nerdy, so we should talk about it. Right. And, no, it's super sad. And, you know, of course, our hearts go out. It's a tremendous loss to the film world because he was a great writer and a really good director, too. And it's also uh, a historical loss because he he did so much for comedy and he paved the way for future comedic writers and Chet actors. Chet Apatow mentioned him as an influence, So, sure. I mean, you know, it uh, it kind of affects both podcasts. It's not just delegated to just one. Yeah, it's true. So our heart goes out to the Ramos family. Um, let's get into feedback, shall we? Absolutely. This week in Listener Feedback... Oh, Eric's voice, how it haunts us, so. <laughs> Our first piece of feedback is actually a follow-up follow up from Dave. Not this Dave, but Dave from England. Dave. Good name. Good name. Uh, he says, Gents, regarding your question, if I started listening to the Monuments Men podcast, I must have been channeling you guys because I started it the week before the show. Ah. Uh -huh. Clever. Regarding your uh, suggestion for a show about Sephardic Jews, I think that would be a great one. You had mentioned that the... Sephardim come from the uh, Eastern Mediterranean. They actually are any non-European North and Center Jews. Sephard in Hebrew means Spain. So one normally thinks of Spanish and North African Jews, but Yemeni Jews are also thought of as Sephardi. To narrow the subject, I would suggest one Sephardic Jew by the name of Rabbi uh, Moshe Ben Maimon, a.k.a. Uh, Maimonides, uh, a.k.a. Rambam. Following him uh, would cover Spanish, North African, and Egyptian history. Oh, Eric, where are you? Uh, he also gives us another Audible audiobook for suggestion. Lost uh, Enlightenment, 
Central Asia's golden age from the Arab conquest to Tamerlane unabridged by S. Frederick Starr. Interesting. Wow. Super specific. Yeah. Uh, recommended for history, religion, art, math, and science nerds. Ooh. That's a quadruple threat right there. Or no, quintuple threat right there. Holy crap. Yeah. Well done, sir. Well done. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you for the book recommendation. And uh, very good to know about Sephardic Jews. Definitely gives us some resources, uh, it's a little bit of direction we can use for our, for our feedback. <laughs> That'll likely be an episode topic. <laughs> oh, it probably and will. And we won't credit you. I'm kidding. We will. We will. But you won't get paid. Um, our next piece of listener feedback comes from our Facebook page. Uh, her name is Megan Walborn. She says, hi, Brian and Eric. I recently discovered the Nerds on History podcast in iTunes, and I love it. I listen to you guys every night at work. You never fail to make me laugh as well as enlighten my mind. I recently decided to go back to college to complete my teaching certification in the hope of spreading the joy of history to future generations. Thank you for all your hard work and look forward to many more podcasts to come. Thanks, Megan Walburn from Pennsylvania. Well, I know that Eric replied to you because I do a lot of our social media, and I know he said thank you for uh, wanting to go into that profession and uh, help mold the minds of the young. So uh, from Eric's comatose body to my mouth, Thank you. As we said last week, we are so pro-teacher, it is not even funny. So thank you. And we, we are very humbled and honored that we were able to inspire you to continue to finish that degree. And the final bit of listener feedback here is from the very own Sean Moriarty. Our editor. Our editor-in-chief. Um, he uh, says, subject, preemptive mid-edit feedback. So as he edits, he likes to provide his own feedback, which is fantastic. Um, so I'm currently editing NOH, and it is awesome because it has to do with movies, and, well, movies are my thing. Anyway, when you were talking about historic movie palaces, I, I was reminded of one in Arcata, California, where I went to college. Now, uh, the uh, movie theaters one was last week's episode, uh, so check that out. Um, it's called the Minor Theater, and it was built in 1914. It had the curtains, the organ, the huge balcony, the works. Our intro to film class had monthly viewings in that theater, and I got to see some great classics and some very strange and confusing old foreign films, such as The Film School. Strangely enough, this theater also showed whatever movie was currently the most popular. It was the theater where I saw 2002's Spider-Man and Moulin Rouge for the first time as well. Listening to you guys talk about it reminded me how awesome it was, so I consulted the ruins, Wikipedia, and was shattered when I found out that it was leased to a small movie theater change and the space was split into three theaters. Boo. Boo indeed. That's awful. Um, sorry for the long feedback. I just needed to share my pain and hopefully this will help get the word out about the need to preserve these monuments to cinema instead of turning them into monuments of commerce. Well said. Yeah, well said indeed, dude. I agree. It's, it's terrible. Um, and there's a lot of places that unfortunately have been totally torn down or gutted, but they keep the facade of the marquee with the billboard and all that stuff. It's like cool. So you like to keep the the appearance of his of historical uh, nature. We got an old exterior, but we're alive and vibrant on the inside. The Garden Theater. It was a movie palace right in downtown Willow Glen not three or four miles away from where we are right now. Oh, that's true. And then they turned it into a shopping center. Turned it into a shopping center. This is one movie theater that, that was turned into a full shopping center. That's With how like big this place was. With multiple shops. Yeah. Multiple shops. It was a huge theater. Really, really just depressing. Super depressing. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is go see movies. In, in movie palaces. And if you're in California, I'm sure you probably <clears throat> talked about this. Go see it at the Stanford. Lovely place. Stanford, the Alameda, the Pantages, if they're showing a theater. We're looking forward to the Cinequest Film Festival. That's Yeah, that's right. And they do some of their screenings at the California Theater, which was a former mm -hmm. movie palace that was recently restored. And it's also, it's now, like a movie palace was, it was doubled for both stage and for, for screen mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Well, we got some listener feedback a couple months ago yeah. that asked us, you should do a whole episode on Unsolved Mysteries. And they recommended D.B. Cooper as the, the topic. Well, we decided we were going to oh, do... Right, that was a Facebook post. That, that was a Facebook post, I who think. Who was your phone? It was like, who do you think is like the most unsolved mystery? Right. And when right. You, you guys chose D.B. Cooper. No, no, no. He suggested D.B. Cooper. Right, but, but it was a contest to see who could make the best one. And you oh, guys right. selected D.B. Cooper. Right. Oh, but as that, the best but that, one. But yeah. that got your guys' wheels a-turning. Sure, exactly. And then it inspired, well, let's do a whole month mystery march, right? So... This whole month. Boy, do we like those alliterate not alliterations. Alliterations. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Alliter we, we, we love alliterations. <laughs> I don't read it, I just listen to podcasts. 
said everybody from 2014. Exactly. Yeah, so we decided that we were going to kick off March with probably one of the best unsolved mysteries to date. In, it, exactly. And no, I hate to, to front load the best, uh, but it mean very well maybe, which is uh, Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. You know? I agree. And uh, folks, for those who don't know, the grisly details of the Whitechapel murders, which is really what that's what this really is, because there's debate of even whether he should be called Jack the Ripper. There's speculation about him self-proclaiming or giving himself the, the pseudonym of of Jack the Ripper. Right. So um, this is going to get pretty gory, guys. Uh, I mean, we're not going to go into gory detail, but we will be using imagery that may invoke a certain, you know, obviously paint a certain picture. Much like when I was on last time. Why am I always on the episodes where there's like god awful, like disclaimers that have to right, be? Right, because the last time you I were was on, on the was cannibal like, episode right. with you and Eric, and it was like BT Dubs, gonna get graphic. We can't do the subject justice without going into that kind of detail. Right. Uh, you've done way more research than I have. I've read up on the subject, but you actually <laughs> have you have detailed notes. I have I have three pages worth of of notes. I think you're overcompensating because you're trying really hard to be Eric, but. I'm not really trying to be Eric. It's just I think the last couple of times I've been on Nerds on History, I've always been like the, hey, teach me something. And then I just sit <laughs> and then I try to make like funny comments in the background, uh, which you don't normally get cut out. Um, so well, that's right, because you were on the, the uh, Let's Dial It Back a bit episode, too, where we talked about uh, uh, monoliths. Yes. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. But I brought Jack the Ripper up to Brian because I said it's one of the my favorite mysteries that have yet to be solved. Um, and so I got to really doing some research in it. So before we even get to the murders, before we even get to the theories about who this person is, let's set the stage, right? So Brian mentioned that it's at, it's in Whitechapel, London, right? So in the mid 19th century, Britain experienced a, a huge influx of Irish immigrants as well as Jewish immigrants. And we're talking about 1882 right now. And they're all coming and flooding to this one place called Whitechapel. Now, the problem is, is that so many people made an exodus to this one location that it started to become overpopulated. And because it became overpopulated, it started to become very impoverished. And, um, you know, there's very little housing, very little jobs. You know, there's probably a pub on almost every block, kind of like a Starbucks. Uh, You know, so, I mean, it's not the greatest town in the world in fact it's probably like not to stereotype but i think every major city has got that one little section that's like oh we don't go there why but we just because if you go there at night bad things will happen sure because as you get more densely populated and you go into the areas within a city that tend to be more densely populated you do tend to notice the people who are more impoverished right because Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, it tends to be around lower income housing. That's just, I think, more of a de facto right. circumstance. But then you also start to see more legal activity, especially in this point in time, because right. that's anyone well, how people yeah, and, survive. And, and because there was such an increasing amount of people coming into this one location, like I said, housing became an issue. Basically, poverty ran rampant throughout Whitechapel. Um, you're dealing with people who are, you know, uh, working in housing that's underdeveloped. You have crime on the rise because people are looking for ways to make money. You have women who are being driven to prostitution as a means of an income to be able to support their family if should they have one or support themselves for that matter. Um, like I said, you have pubs that are open, which is exacerbating the problem. Um, it's estimated that there were about 62 brothels and over 1,200 prostitutes in Whitechapel around this time. Right. And this is not as we would know it today. I mean, yes, there were brothels, sure, but a lot of prostitutes were self-employed. Self-employed, yeah. There weren't pimps necessarily. Right. They were basically looking to turn tricks in order to get money for themselves. Right. To either get food, to get a drink, whatever the case may be. And on the other side of the coin, you also have this... This tension boiling in Whitechapel because there's a lot of Jewish people. There's a lot of anti-Semitic things that are happening. Racial issues that are kind of underneath the problem. Crime is at an all-time high. I mean, people are being robbed. Prostitutes are being robbed. They're being tricked into thinking that the John is going to pay for services. And then all of a sudden, they're robbed of whatever money they have on them. And you have all this boiling, basically like in a pot, right? So you have this pot boiling with all this stuff happening. And then 1888 rolls around, and that's when a string of grisly murders really strengthens this idea that Whitechapel 
is an awful hellhole. Excuse me for saying so, but it's just an awful place. And in 1888, that's when it really starts to become very apparent, not just within Whitechapel, but nationally within the United Kingdom. And then you're talking globally, you know, where people in New York, in the New York Times, are hearing about these awful murders that are happening overseas. And part of it may be just not just because of what's going on, but also just because the, the police couldn't find this guy. Right, because, I mean, you're talking about 1888. So, I mean, police investigations are just kind of at their... Inf- I mean, really, you, you have no DNA. I mean, there's DNA, but there's no forensic uh, uh, taking of whatsoever. There's no right. way to, to process forensics. There isn't much me- in the terms of medical examination. There's no medical examinations, really, other than kind of sight on scene, where you look at it and go, well, this is what right. I speculate happened. There's very few photographs being taken of the crime right. scene. Right. I mean, if anything, you, you could possibly say that these string of murders were kind of the grandfather to what modern-day detectives are now. Because not only are you dealing with one grisly murder, but now you're dealing with five. Right. And they're all in the same fashion. And they show a person who is evolving as a murderer. Right. Well, there's there's as many as 16 that have been, quote-unquote, <coughs> attributed to right. Jack the Ripper. But, but the there's five really referring... five canonical murders that are attributed directly to him. Those are the ones that we can say with more certainty were that the those same were, person. That these were done by the same hand. Now, the other 11 that take place in Whitechapel, they have various different ways of the murders being committed. None that really fit the profile of Jack the Ripper. So basically, for just to kind of give a brief idea of what's going on is, so as we stated, right, Whitechapel, lots of prostitutes, there's a lot of tension going around. It's not really the best place to be. And in 1888, these string of murders that had taken place are all specifically against prostitutes by a, a singular person who is unidentified to this day, neither man nor woman, we don't know. We don't know much about this person other than what we can kind of surmise from the police reports. And even then, as we said, are not very accurate. Um, They took place from about August of 1888 to the very last murder, which took place in uh, November of of 1888. So we're talking about a four-month period of people just kind of living in fear more so than a regular day. And rising incompetence growing with the London Police Department as well. Right. And I think even partially with Scotland Yard as well. But um, Well, yeah, it's funny because it started off well, – it's not really funny. Uh, but it started off with just one detective inspector. And then because he couldn't figure it out, they gave him more. And now you've got like the entire city of London Police Department, Scotland Yard, all trying to work together to figure out who this person is. Right. So it all starts at 3.40 a.m. Friday, August 31st, 1888. When Marianne Nichols is found uh, in Burke's Row, her throat is cut, her abdomen is slashed, not to a point of mutilation, but there are cut marks on her. And what kind of made this a unique murder was that it was just so gruesome in the way that it was done, right? You've got slash marks on the neck, on the body. Um, It's kind of a very malicious way of killing somebody and taking life out of them. Right. We, I think that one of the things that was interesting, a hundred years after these murders took place, the FBI did a whole profile on Jack the Ripper just to see if there was anything that they could add to the, the mix. Right. And they were equally as inconclusive because there was so much that we have now that we didn't have back then, right? Right. But the reason why I'm even bringing this all up is the reason why we do know that these five murders were one person, and that it was probably a male, number one. Right, is because and we'll are, get into that a little bit later. Yeah, we'll talk about the male aspect later. But um, is because of these these common trends we see, that it was almost always a sign of, uh, I think, of a struggle, or, or no, the sign that they, the person knew the killer. Right. Right off the In bat. In some capacity. All of them had a cutthroat. Uh-huh. And all of them had their abdomen touched in some way. To varying degrees. Uh, to yes. varying degrees. And they also, the, the other commonalities are it all took place at night. They were all prostitutes. In the very early hours in the morning. In the yes. very early hours in the morning. And they all took place on the weekends or like uh, like on a Friday or Saturday. Or toward the end of the month. Towards the end of the month. So there is a pattern to this person's killings. So, so you have Marianne Nichols. She's murdered. And then a month later, 
at the beginning of sep- uh, on September 8th, 1888, you find Annie Chapman. And this is a similar situation. Uh, her throat is cut. However, now it's gone a step further. And now her stomach and her abdomen have been actually cut open and her uterus has been removed from her body. So now we're, t- we're talking about a very similar murder, almost not even like just a little over a week. A week and a half later, yeah. <clears throat> and there's another very similar situation, but now it's escalated because now the killer has actually followed through with what he was trying to do on the first one. Right, so now he's progressing. So now, now I think in by today's standards, and I know that there's a lot of law enforcement officers who listen to this to the show. Please write in to, to correct me, but based upon what I've read, is that now this is starting to build a pattern. Now you're kind of dealing with the serial killer, right? Now with Annie Chapman, there was a lot of speculation because she was found around 6 a.m. The local police did an inquiry and they found that uh, there was a witness, kind of. Not to the murder, but rather to everything leading to the events leading up to the murder. Right. In a way, not like a play by play, but there like, was, oh, was... hey, I think I may have saw her around five thirty in the morning with some fellow who looked really, um, as he said, shabby looking, but also um, a well dressed, shabby appearance, essentially. Uh, and that's like their first clue as to okay, now we have a quote unquote description of the murderer, but not really. Then you're dealing with something that happens at the end of the month. So now you're going about three weeks later. No activity. Now we're, we're now it's September 30th, 1888. And we find the body of Elizabeth Stride. Now, the problem with Elizabeth Stride is that she looks incomplete. So similar situation. Her throat is slashed. Her abdomen is cut. But it looks as though it's rushed. It's not as pristine as the other killings. Because what made him also... What also made these killings so bizarre and, and unique was that each murder victim was placed in a pose that of a sexual nature so they have these god-awful and horrendous disfigurements to their body but they are displayed in a way that's just um frankly quite graphic and so with elizabeth stride you don't see that at all you see a very rushed job and there, there's speculation that maybe she isn't a jack the ripper victim that maybe it's just another case but the fact that there's so much similarities to the first two crimes. And in close proximity. And in close proximity. Now, that's the other thing, is that location is everything. And all these murders happen within close proximity of each other, within the Whitechapel district. And with with Elizabeth, right, throat is cut, her abdomen is touched, but it's not anything aggressive. But that's not the only murder that happens at night. Elizabeth is found around 1 a.m. Catherine Eddowes, E-D-D-O-W-E-S, is found three quarters of an hour later from uh elizabeth's body and she again much like the others has her throat slashed but this time it's gone a step further um her abdomen is cut down the middle with jaggedly so basically like not to be graphic but knife into the body and just pulling down so basically she's cut in half essentially right it's awful and you know it presents you know the same signs of this person except instead of her uterus being missing um it's part of her uterus and her kidney is now missing from the body right so now now there's more body parts that are being done so this so this killer is escalating yeah he's go- basically going into almost a surgical <laughs> yeah. precision now again there are people who said that they saw Catherine with a shabby well-dressed man uh shortly before the murder now this is because there's a local man, Joseph uh, Lawden, had passed through the square where Edo's body was found, which is Mitre Square. He was passing through the square with two friends shortly before the murder, and he described seeing a fair-haired man of shabby appearance with a woman who may have been Edo's. May have been. Again, so it's not the best eyewitness account. However, the fact that he's describing a very similar description to what people said about Annie Chapman... Now they're starting to think, okay, now we have four people. What made this even worse was that the body of uh, Catherine was found with graffiti above her body written in blood that was very anti-Semitic. And the inspector at the time, Charles Warren, asked that they wash it off immediately for fear that already this boiling pot of like anti-Semitic racial issues that are happening in Whitechapel, should they see that, would, would cause a riot. And, and just... yet they also wiped away a key piece of evidence. Right. But they see, they didn't have that back then. Right. They didn't realize that that's, that was key. 
And then we get to the fifth victim in the, the Conical Five. Mary Jane Kelly, body discovered uh, on November 9th, 1888, at around 1045 in the morning. So keep in mind, so if, that, if that's the case, there's a solid two or three months where nothing happens. Right. So the trail goes cold. Right. Wow. Okay, so that which like, is chilling for any yeah. of the of the women that continue to work the streets, right? Because right? just when you think things might be safe again, it then this happens. It happens again, and this is the most grotesque. And of this all the is the most grotesque of them all. And 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 listeners, I, I I feel like I must give you guys another warning because this is rather graphic. Uh, Mary uh, Jane Kelly was found in a room that she was renting, single bedroom, on her bed. Same situation, throw to slash. But the only murder committed indoors, too. Which I think was to his advantage because then he could produce and do exactly what he did, right? When he's outdoors, he only has a limited amount of time until someone may see him, which is why I think he only got away with certain organs. With Mary J. Kelly, he removed every organ from her body. So he cut her from stem to stern, opened her up like a book, essentially, and removed every organ, leaving it at the crime scene, mutilating her face, and taking her heart. Now, that's the last of the murders that are actually connected to him or or thought to be him uh, more so than the others that take place. And, folks, if you look no further than Wikipedia, you can see photographs, police photographs of these women, and it is... Oh, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's awful. And this is one of the first times, by the way, that photographs were being used in police investigation. Right. Too. I mean, it was happening in the United States since probably, I think, the... I want to say the 1870s, 1880s, but basically it was around the same time. It was happening all over the world, and grisly is the only word that I can can come... Oh, it's absolutely awful. Absolutely awful. And and like we said, you know, um, with these five murders inspectors who they have all of scotland yard all of the london police department all working to figure this out right like i said it's all at night they're all prostitutes they all believe that the five crimes were committed by the same person and there is speculation that kelly and stride were maybe someone else and that uh nichols chapman and eddowes were 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 somebody different and what leads them to think that it might there's just i think it's just because of the graphic amount of the murder but just because they went into more detail you mean right i think so but i mean again i'm not a i'm not a profiler in any sense of the word i just like crime stories true and fiction i think that's i think that's a wrong speculation because knowing what we know now it seems to me like whoever was doing this is he's learning from every kill that he makes he, he he's, he's testing the boundaries he's seeing how far he can go with you know removing organs i mean that's that's got to take i mean granted you're cutting somebody open from the from you know right there in front of you so maybe it's a lot easier but still it's depending upon how precise these cuts are which they're saying that there are there that these are kind of surgical precisions on how he was removing these 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 body parts you know it just seems to me that it's it's somebody who I mean, if I were to profile him, I would him or her. I would say that this person is very aggressive, hates women, especially with uh, Marianne Kelly or Mary June Kelly. Uh, she had her face mutilated, just horrifically. And not only that, but they're all found in sexual positions. They're all, it's a dominant. It feels like it's a dominance thing. So he's trying to get like something dominant over them. He's taking out sexual organs. Right. Maybe not sexual organs, but sexual reproductive, like reproductive yeah, organs. Yeah, I mean, the FBI mentioned that one person, no, vagina was removed. So, I mean, right. internally, so. So, it's just, it's that he or she is a very aggressive person. Um, doesn't like these women for their particular profession. Right, because they're all prostitutes. Right? Or he just doesn't like women in general, and he, realizes, he or she realizes that a prostitute's probably easy to obtain at that time. Rather than like breaking into someone's house, you can just easily court someone to go into a back alley, and you know there you go. Right. Um, and and that's actually an important detail to mention too is that a lot of these tricks that the prostitutes were turning at this point were were being done in dark alleys in places that were technically outdoors. I mean, they were either doing that or they're going to flop houses to do it. Right. That's why we emphasize that the killer may have not have had much time to go into as much detail. Except with, for the, the final, final one, murder, because right. he's in a, he's in a room in which no one can really stop him. I mean, and if you you imagine you know, the one of the most common things you associate with Jack the Ripper is uh, if he was dressed in a shabby but in gentleman's clothing, probably had a, an evening cloak, right? Probably was wearing a top hat. He probably looked fine. 
Yeah. I mean, but isn't that the case for every murderer? <laughs> but I bring that point up because the evening cloak was probably a way he could obscure the crime. Right. As well. I mean, to a degree. You can't obviously to do To a degree. Everything. And in, in a lot of media that they've talked about it, most notably there was the 2001 film called From Hell starring, starring Johnny Depp, Ian Holm, and uh, Heather Graham. Uh, and Robbie Coltrane. Hagrid, that's right. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That's right. Hagrid was in a horror movie. Think about that. Yeah, I mean, they, they described him as the killer, in the, the Jack the Ripper in that story was wearing a cloak, and there was actually several scenes in which he's depicted as using that to, to cloak himself as he's sitting over the body. So to anyone passing by who is not really giving it any thought makes it look as though, you know, they're having they're, sex. They're, they're fornicating. Yeah. Now, Brian mentioned at the beginning of this that there's like 16 murders that are quote-unquote attributed to him. So you have the five conical, which you just went over. Now there's 11 others that were talked about, but never really uh, – that have happened within the Whitechapel era, but that that weren't really the same calling card as this person. They couldn't fully attribute it to him because there wasn't enough that matched up. But they were attributed to him because they all took place around Whitechapel. Right. Um, there's one that's really fa- famous called the Fairy Fay, which was considered a hoax um, about a woman uh, who was pierced to the abdomen through a, with a stake. And they thought that that was uh, something. But the, but the funny thing about that is that there's no record of a woman in the police records uh, having any sort of impalement happen to them. So really, Fairy Fay is just kind of a hoax at this point that they, that they, Alleged, that they, yeah. that they speculate was mixed up in kind of all the the fever that was happening right. in, at that time. So it was like, you know, it's like word of mouth. It's like, oh, I heard she had wings and buck teeth and she could fly and grant wishes. And it's like, oh, that's real. <laughs> and we believe it. And then you go back and you realize that's not true at all. Um, just like the Florida elections. Anywho. Oh, I'm just kidding, everybody. I'm just kidding. I just wanted to, I just feel like there needs to be some humor because we just talked about murdering of five women. And I feel like there needs to be some. Sure. <sighs> Everybody just breathe. We've gotten through that part. Now right. we'll, we're, we're not going to go into too much more detail no. about the murders. But the one thing about the 11 that they talked about is there is one that does have a little bit of tangential connection to the rest of. Okay. And which uh, one is that? This is um, Annie Millwood. Now, there are people out there who believe that Annie Millwood was the very first Jack the Ripper victim. She had very similar wounds, uh, abdomen stabbings. Um, her throat was attacked, um, but she was able to make it to a doctor and have them stitch her up, and she was fine. And she died years later of of natural causes. Now, the thing that makes this a little iffy is the fact that this took place in February of 1888. The very first on record murder of Jack the Ripper is not until September. So we're t- we're talking. So well, you're talking seven months worth of silence. Which again, I'm not a profiler, but I would feel like if she was the first victim, and he was he was trying it out, that in that seven months we would have had other events that would have been eerily similar to the stories that we you know that we already know. I personally, as doing the research for the episode, I don't think she was. I don't think. I mean, not being a serial killer, I don't think that you would have a seven-month dry spell unless either A, you're out of the country, right, or you're in prison. Sure. You know, so we can't discount that. I mean, this person may have been in prison. This person may have been out of the country. Who knows? But there's not enough that you feel can connect the dots all the way. Not from what I was reading. No, I don't think so. Okay. And I'm an authority. Dang, Nevit. Well, no, it makes sense because seven seven months is a long time. (sighs) It just seems way too long for yeah. for something like that. Unless it was an experiment to see if he could get away with it. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. also possible. But, I mean, it is, it is very hard to draw that connection. Okay, so well, we've talked about the murders. Did you want to talk any more about the, the other murders, or is that the other the only one? I mean, there's there's others. The there, there's, there's one of a seven-year-old boy who I won't go into much detail. He, too, was found mutilated in certain degrees. But they thought that they found his killer. They prosecuted him. He was able to get off, and they weren't able to find anybody else to do it. The nature of his of his wounds do match that of the other five. But the fact is, is that it's a seven-year-old boy. 
it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any the, sense. It goes against the profile. And in fact, this one was actually even more gruesome where I think there was some removal of limbs in, in certain oh, wow. ways. So I, I just based upon that, I don't. I think that's an entirely separate crime as opposed to the Conical Five. Yeah. The Canical Five, I should say. Yeah. And that's probably the most gruesome we get is when we talk about that. But let's... Yeah. So let's let, let's talk about more like the investigation. Sure. This. Well, I, I'm actually more curious to know about the letters at this point, too. Because yeah. at what point, after which murder does the first letter appear? Because there, there's... Well, there's hundreds of letters. Well, there's there's four that are attributed to... Correct. Jack the Ripper. Uh, there's the first one, which was the Dear Boss letter. Uh, was a message allegedly written by the notorious Victorian serial killer Jack the Ripper, uh, and it was received on the 27th of September, 1888. So if we're looking at our timeline, that's right before Elizabeth, uh, right before the third murder. Right before the third murder. So this is after Annie Chapman. Um, and he's letter states, dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. And he underlines the word, right. The joke about the leather apron really gave me fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them until I do get buckled. Grand work. The last job was I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work. and want to start again. You will soon hear me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in the ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but I went thick like glue and I can't use it, which is suggesting that he, he, he drained the blood out of the victim and using it, it as like ink in a, in a, you know, inkwell pen. Yeah. Awful. Uh, red ink is fit enough. I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly. Wouldn't you keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away. If, if I get the chance, good luck. Yours truly Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. PS wasn't good enough to post this before I had all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Interesting. So, so a real, a real taunting, absolutely antagonistic well, letter. The first thing that stood out from there is that, uh, is that he appreciated the leather apron bit. That's actually really funny because that was the nickname that they had had for him prior to this letter coming out. Right. Uh, and I think they called him that because leather aprons were were the clothing that was worn by a butcher. Right. Yeah. They they were assuming that this person actually maybe had a background in butchery. Right. There was there was four professions that were kind of immediately looked at. It was butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians. Anybody who basically could wield a knife, and, and with it, with skill of some sort. With skill, and if you could, you were underneath the the microscope immediately. And then you know you've got another letter that comes out. Uh, the, let's see. It's called the Saucy Jack Postcard. Is the name of the message received in 1888, which claims to have been written by Jack the Ripper. This one doesn't really have – oh, it was received on October 1st, 1888, which if we look at the uh, time frame here, shortly after Elizabeth and Catherine's uh, murders. Only about a week after, yeah. Only about a week. And it says here, I'm not coddling, dear old boss. I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed and couldn't finish straight off. Had not got time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. So there's a connection, right? So that letter is indicating and referencing the first letter. So just from just power of deduction, those two things are connected. Those two letters are connected. So if I were a cop. And similar handwriting too, right? Similar handwriting the, uh, from what I could see here. Similar writing style, right? It's a very taunting, very menacing, like, hey, let's play a game kind of like the original saw basically then it gets a little weird because the third letter that they receive is the most famous from hell letter which is kind of what inspired the movie from hell which of course and the graphic novel that it was based and the off. graphic novel that it was based off of but the problem with the letter is that i won't read it because it's just it's so riddled with spelling errors but it's also as if someone who's illiterate had written it and was trying to like sound out the words. Now, the problem is, is it's vastly different than the other letters. Right. Vastly different. Now, this letter was also sent to one of the detectives and the inspectors in a box with half of a human kidney. Right. Which makes sense because... The fourth one, murder. One of, one of the f murders, the yeah. fourth murder, uh, Catherine, she was missing a kidney and part of her uterus. 
So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could have been legitimately Catherine's kidney, right? Because there's no DNA test back then, so there's no way to kind of make that connection. Now, one uh, some of the analysis that they had said about this letter was that the the writer, the author of the letter, was smart enough to spell the word knife, K-N-I-F, and wild, W-H-I-L. Misspelled, yes, but they both have the silent letters, the K and the H, which gives the analysis of the people who looked at it that this could potentially be Jack the Ripper, and at the same time, he could be intentionally doing this to throw the police off because it's so vastly different tonally and spelling-wise from the other letters. And this one's written more like a poem because you know how like a poem is like a few lines and it drops down and then a few lines and it drops down and you kind of have like a block right. looking. Yeah. This is what it looks like. It looks almost like a poem format. So um, a lot of people actually believe that the letters, a lot of them may be hoaxes. Hmm. Again, I mean, clearly the first two letters are of the same person. This third letter kind of is different from that other person. But I mean, to be fair, if you think about it, like Zodiac, a lot of the, the letters of the Zodiac did, yeah, they were all transcribed, but they were all different. They all kind of felt like they had a different voice. I wouldn't say maybe not a different voice, but they were all written differently. They weren't all just the, hey, it's me, and I want to taunt you guys. It was, it was, it was very elaborate, but at the same time also... It could have been different people who wrote the letters, but they all just knew about what was going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. And basically, um, like we said, you know, there's a lot of speculation of how the investigation worked. I mean, you're talking about Victorian-era police work, which is kind of a fly by the seat of your pants and try to, you know, catch... Basically, you have to catch the person in the act. Okay, so what about the fourth letter? Well, before we get into that, I think I kind of skipped over something. So in the first two letters, it mentions a person by the name of Lusk, Mr. Lusk. And that is referring to George Lusk. Now, because the investigation into the Jack the Ripper case was taking literally the London Police Department, the Scotland Yard, it was taking a whole lot of people and it was taking them a really long time to try to figure out who this person was. A lot of people were dissatisfied with the police work not unlike today when something bad happens right you know we get dissatisfied with law enforcement so they created a vigilante group that was used to help try to track down jack the ripper um and when i say vigilante it's very batman like in the sense that they literally just combed the streets and looked for anybody suspicious now likely there were probably murders and or beatings severely just around this in general, right? I mean, you get a group of people with pitchforks and, and torches, you know, it's going to lead to possibly something larger and more uh, grotesque. Right, you're going to get these killings that are... Right. And the leader for this, or the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilante Committee was uh, George Lusk. And that's who these letters were addressed to. It wasn't Scotland Yard. These letters were actually addressed to George Lusk to try to taunt him basically now you mentioned brian the um the open shaw letter which is the fourth letter now open now open refers to thomas horrocks openshaw who is a um, english victorian and edwardian era surgeon so tusk is getting these letters right and he got the third letter that has the part of the kidney in it right he doesn't know what to do with it he's sitting here going like do i tell somebody is this real is it fake WTF, what do I do? So he goes to a couple of close friends and his friends say, dude, you, yeah. And they said, dude, back then, most people don't know that they actually talk like they're from, it, it was, a, it was a term for someone who was very sophisticated. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, we've dumbed it down, but really dude meant aristocracy. The more, you know, um, so essentially you've got his friends going like Georgie, George, buddy, you need to go and like do something about this because this could be this could be vital to the case. So he and his buddies march on downtown and they go try to find a um, a surgeon, Doctor Frederick Wiles. He's a surgeon nearby at the Mile End Road, and they want to have uh, uh, Frederick look at this evidence and try to figure out what's going on. He's not there. But his assistant, F.S. Reed, is, and he's examined the contents of the box and took the kidney to another doctor, Openshaw. He says, hey, Openshaw, here's all this information. Like, 
let's work on this together because I don't quite know what's going on. Like what, what do you think? So Openshaw has this information in his hands. Now people know that Openshaw has this info. He's widely known in the area as having this information. And so because he is connected to the kidney and to the from hell letters, he gets a letter addressed specifically to him that says, old boss, you was right, R-I-T-E. It was the left kidney. He spells kidney wrong. I was going to operate again close to your hospital just as I was going to draw me knife along. It's, it's hard not to want to like slip into the... It's I was going to draw my life like, along the blooming throat. Them curses. Uh, I shouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> you're basically saying it was Cockney. It was, it was it, well, Cockney's like a it is a blanketed term, but yeah, it's in in that same vein. Um, he says, uh, "Blooming throat. Them curses of coppers exploit the game. Coppers, basically." Uh, but I guess I will be on the job soon and will send you another bit of innards. Jack the Ripper. Oh, have you seen the devil with the milk scope and the scalpel looking at the kidney with the slide cocked up? Really just weird and just so right. cat and mouse. I mean, it, at this time, I don't think that there's ever been like a serial killer who's been this active. And if these letters, which they're said to be hoaxes, it just it seems like there's just so much that these letters know that they really shouldn't know that the thing that makes them different is that the first, the first two letters clearly are written by someone who knows how to write and spell. The other two letters are written by somebody who borderlines on illiterate. So is it the same person? Is it not the same person? Who knows? I've got it. Huh? Syphilis. Poor sweet, innocent Brian Moriarty. He has no idea that the syphilis theory is already well established and has been discussed at length. Well, let's just humor him and let him go on. He's got syphilis? Yeah, I'm serious. In theory, let's assume for a second that these all four were the same person. If you are in the later stages of syphilis, right? You know, your syphilis essentially just liquefies your brain from the inside as well as does a couple of other <laughs> things to your body, sores and things like that. If you're starting to see the upheaval of that effects, right? You could in fact just start losing all capacities such as grammatical structure spelling coherence in in your thoughts do you think that this was just a man who had a lot of relations with prostitutes and he was trailing down the one that gave him syphilis i think not the one <laughs> that, I, was, that was awful I I, I I i i know but to be to answer the question seriously though i think it's plausible that this was a guy who was a, an upper class individual who contracted syphilis from a prostitute, and he may have already had some predispositions to psychosis. That syphilis may have, in fact, made things worse, and he's just been punishing the prostitutes all over again. Now that is a complete speculation. I have zero evidence to back that up. But based Actually, on everything studied for the last twelve years, yeah. but based on everything you're saying, he's poor because he's put a lot of money into his investigation. Right. It's this is the old Sherlock Holmes or, or the old Arthur Conan Doyle quote of using uh, theories to suit facts rather than using facts to support theories. Oh, you mean like local media? Oh. Sure. <laughs> um, but it would make a very nice novel. It's an it? interesting theory. Interesting theory, but that's all it is. BT Dubs, that theory was literally just created on this show. Yep. So. Where's my book deal? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, see, you have to laugh. We have to laugh, and otherwise we're going to be very sad. And, uh, oh, oh, what, 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 what is, what is happening? That's the temporal rift. It just keeps opening up. You guys should really get that fixed. It always happens around this time. Are we okay? We're fine. Just, we'll have to see who comes through. Oh. Oh, oh my God. It's, it, it, it's Salvador Dali. Oh my, you're Salvador Dali. Yes. That's amazing. Oh my God. And you came through the temporal rift. Yes. Oh my God. This is. Wow, Brian, you didn't say that this was going to happen on the show. This is I did amazing. Not. This is this is. I, I thought you guys were just joking. Like this is legitimately happening right now. You have got some really great paintings. Yith. That's so. So what? Uh, what? What are you doing here? Yith. What? I I don't understand. Yith. But uh. No, actually, I I think I think what Mr. Dolly is saying by yes. Yeah. Is that Audible.com 
is a wonderful resource where you can go and check out many audiobooks. Uh, you can subscribe on a monthly basis, and you can also try it out. Give it a free trial to see if you really like it or not. And in fact, if you go to our page, neuronomy.com, and click on the Audible link by one of our posts, we will get a small commission when you sign up for that 30-day free trial. That's, I mean, that, that's great. I'm glad that that's happening, but uh, you really got all of that from from just yes. Yes. Okay, well, um, thank you, Salvador. Dolly, looks like you could probably go back into that temporal rift again. Yes. Oh, okay. Wow, that was weird. That was that was unusual to say the least. It was very surreal. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, if Eric's not going to be here, someone's got to do the bad <laughs> someone's puns. Someone's got to do the bad puns. Um, to kind of uh, recap, so we we've talked a lot about obviously uh, the murders. We talked about the investigation. We talked about the letters. So I mean, with the remaining time that we have left, um, let's actually talk about some of the theories that are out there. Sure. So yes. we've obviously talked about... Oh, wow. Oh. You too now. Yeah, huh? yeah. Sorry. So we clearly have... We, we have one theory added to it, which is the syphilis-laden upper-class nobleman. <laughs> Nor on history. With a heart of vengeance. With a heart. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. Let's see here. So, yeah. So we're talking about a lot about the theories. So, yes, we have the, as you mentioned, the, uh, the very vengeance-filled man who has syphilis and he's looking to seek revenge... On the prostitutes on who the made prostitutes. him this way. There was Patricia Cornwell, uh, who's a uh, novelist. And when I say novelist, I mean she's done a lot of um, a lot of uh, those procedural novels, essentially. Okay, so she's good at telling a detective story. Yeah, she's done uh, Scarpetta. It's kind of her, Got it. her character. Um, but she spent 11 years uh, trying to track this down. Um, she believes that it is actually the um, an artist with links to the royal family by the name of Walter Sickert, S-I-C-K-E-R-T. And her reason for this is that his paintings, a lot of his paintings represent graphic details of the murders. One in particular, because I remember watching like an ABC special on her, um, where there is a man in a room with a woman on a bed, and he's sitting at the foot of the bed. His head is in his hands, and the woman is on the bed completely open, as described and as seen with the last murder of Mary Kelly. So there is some links there, and she's got several others. She actually has an entire book that you could probably either get from you know uh, Amazon or uh, from Audible.com, two of our affiliates. Check them out. That you could probably rent these books or buy these books to, to listen to. Now, a lot of her evidence uh, by other Jack the Ripperologists, as they call themselves, is mildly inconclusive because you know she tried to grab DNA from a stamp that he sent out, but the DNA came back inconclusive. A lot of her evidence is kind of based off of speculation, so there's not a whole lot of concrete. Well, I mean, the DNA. You know, I applaud her for giving that a shot, but like, what database would she be able to tie that into? I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to have. If anything, mitochondrial DNA, which can go back further, that only comes from the mother. But even then, you would need to have a reference point to trace it with, you know? If anything, you could trace certain genotypes from that DNA, but dependent on a certain individual? I don't know, that seems like a stretch. Maybe maybe if they were trying to pin it on someone who was from the royal family, because I know there's a speculation that, that there was... At least that's what From Hell speculated. That they, they... Yeah, From Hell speculated that it was the doctor of the royal family because he was trying to cover up uh, right. a wedding of, of a duke and he was killing all the, the, the prostitutes that were present at the wedding. Right, but nevertheless, he was someone who was not directly in the bloodline of the, of the royal family. Right. So even if you did have his DNA, who would you tie it to? Exactly. The From Hell letter uh, was taken into a... Um, it, the History Channel ran a documentary called Mystery Quest, and they argue that the letter was genuine based upon the characteristics of the handwriting, particularly the invasive loop of the Ys. And they said, based on the linguistic clues, the examiner felt that the letter showed strong evidence that the writer was Irish or of Irish extraction, which I didn't realize that your lettering could tell your heritage, but I guess maybe at that point it was probably easier to, to do so or match it up. There was also so much prejudice against the Irish at this point in time in England and in America too that that doesn't surprise me. It's like you're in me. church and you hear someone sneeze and like, who did that? The Irish. 
basically like anybody who would have been unsophisticated at that right. point would have been you know it would have been labeled as irish well and the reason why they did it is they suspected that uh that it was actually francis tumbulty t-u-m-b-l-e-t-y and there's a whole article of him on uh wikipedia that you can uh you know check out but there's a lot of speculation because he's in the area at the time of these murders happening um he is a very uh lower class gentleman and um, there was an, actually an entire book called jack the ripper first american serial killer where they are supporting the idea that he did it but but the point is is that and if you go to the if you go to the the wikipedia page of jack the ripper there's an entire subsection that says suspects and there's literally just more than a handful of names that they're like well he was kind of in the area and he did look like a shabby fellow the point is, is that there is no real way to say at this point conclusively who this person is which is why this is going to go down as one of the mysteries that will never be solved until we can get a delorean that can take us back in time to these moments or or a cardis as we've or this right we cardis. don't want to, Oh, sorry, BBC. Yeah, yeah. so it's a card because it's a chronological mad time. Oh. Anyway, it's our own little thing. <laughs> yeah, or unless somebody reveals, well, unless like, it's like a journal, like you said earlier before we started recording, like, like the one crux that like ties all the missing pieces you mean together. Crux, whatever. Maybe ah, Harry Potter referenced, which means that until you kill all of them, Jack the Ripper can never really die. <laughs> There's actually a small child out there who's connected there you go, folks. to Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper is actually Voldemort. We've we've pinned it. There we go. The rolling theory. That's awful. We shouldn't. I mean, there's jokes, and then there's like jokes that make me feel sad. Sectum Sempra. All I'm yeah. saying. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, unless there's that was like actually a Snape's. That that was sorry. I have to go Harry Potter nerd for a second. That was a Snape charm that was not ever used by Voldemort. So just trying to clear my name with amongst the Potterheads that are oh out there. Oh my god. Okay. Wow. I've never been this close to that big of a Potterhead. Um, those that are listening, if you're a Potterhead, I mean no disrespect. It's just to be this close to someone being like, uh, excuse me, actually, actually, that was a Snape reference. Um, I don't understand why you would try to make that a Voldemort spell. <laughs> Clearly, you need to go back and read Prisoner of Azkaban. Thank you. Weird. You, you guys all like Harry Potter. Personally, I'm a fan of uh, Archibald Fudgemaker, who is a... Uh, oh, my God. Brian. <laughs> with a, a much lesser known <laughs> sorcerer. Archibald Fudgemaker. That sounds awful. That sounds like an eighth grader is like insult to somebody. Like, yeah, you're a fudgemaker. No? Never? Okay. Moving Should on. I change the last name? It just to... sounded <laughs> it sounded it, it invokes a certain image. Okay. Let's um But yeah, well, unless... thank you, Alan. Thank you. Yes, thank Alan. You. Thank you very much. You ghost. Um but it's true, unless there's a book or, or, or a journal or or like um like just recently, and I don't know if you guys are gonna do this, but there was someone who said that they knew who D B Cooper was like years after the fact. So unless there's somebody sitting on top of this secret, you know, we're never going to know who committed these atrocities. Um, there, and it's only going to be speculation, you know, like what Brian and I did today, purely speculation based off of little to no facts. Like we kind of felt like, Oh, maybe the letters are real, but it's like, it's all, it's all subjective. It doesn't, you know, it's really up to whoever's looking at the evidence the way you find modern murderers nowadays is, first of all, they always make a, they eventually will make a mistake, right? And the real Ripper, the real Whitechapel murderer may in fact have made a mistake that we just never caught because we weren't being as meticulous with gathering of evidence. But I bet like, you tend to one, it's in the graffiti and they wiped it away. If you watch every procedural cop show nowadays, right? Now that, that's not to say that that is exactly how it happens, but if, even if you watch the documentary type procedural shows that are on A&E and TNT and other things that end with letters that have the E sound, you always find that there's some small detail that the killer overlooks that eventually the cops are able to latch onto. You know, it's like they, they left a piece of evidence behind a small, seemingly insignificant piece of evidence. Right. Or they're able to trace it to a receipt they got somewhere <laughs> because they bought 
something in conjunction like with the one of the murders. dust on the bottom of their shoe could only be found in one particular part of the desert, and that's how they know that they were there. You know, like, if only McDonald's was around at this point, because then if we just found a Big Mac box, we might have been able to, like, trace it back to a certain... I, I, I personally, of all the mysteries that you may do this month, I this is one that I would love to see... And it's because it's the unknown, right? It's like we all want to know about that. We all want to solve the unknown mystery. This is one that I would that I would love to see be resolved in my lifetime, and it'll never happen. Right. And whether it is the painter theory, as we've talked about, the most common one, the, the physician theory because of his accuracy with or being able to butcher. remove organs. Or the butcher theory as well. Or even and or, you know, the whole tying back to the nobility stuff. I mean, I think all the credible theories have been exhausted at this point. Right. Like, it's really going to be like the crackpot theory <laughs> that may, in fact, get this case solved. If there's even, again, there has to be some sort of evidence, right? Aliens. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> with the mutilation, it could xenomorphs the whole time. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Face huggers. <laughs> Face huggers, their tails scratch the throat, and then hours later, the, the xenomorph bursts through the chest. There's so, so we now have... The, the syphilis theory. We have aliens. We have <laughs> alien theory. So what you're saying is that really the movie Alien is a biopic. Yes. <laughs> they they were using space as a metaphor for Whitechapel in England. <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, Ian Holm was in that movie. There you go. Just saying. Connected. Nerds on history. That's what we do. We solve murders here. But we in have, all seriousness. I think we've, we've just destroyed any credibility we had. Is that pseudo historians? Well, I mean, again, I, I, I feel like we need to make jokes because the first half of this episode was so just you dark. Feel like you need to take a and, shower, and it's yeah. the darkest I think the show has probably ever gotten. Uh, but potentially, yeah. Potentially, I mean, I mean I, I, who knows? Cannibal gonna, episode, yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows what you guys are going to do next week? But so, folks, we think uh, that you know, let's share this. Uh, let, let's keep the conversation going. What are the, some of the things that you've heard? about the case that you'd like to tell bring us your, up. Tell us the biggest crackpot theory you've ever heard. Who do you think did it? I think it'd be amazing. To do that, please, by all means, reach out to us through our social media, at Nerdonomy, through Twitter, and, of course, through the Book of Face. So, what? The Book of Face. You must go to the Book of Faces <laughs> and reach out to us. Um, like our page. We're being silly, and that's fine. We need to. We're just kind of blowing off steam. Yeah. So um, when we post the show notes for this show, you'll have tons of good resources where you can go and see, see some of this research yourself, including, by the way, the full eight-page FBI report that was done. Yeah, check that out. On the that's year it's, anniversary. It's fascinating. It is really, really fascinating. And, uh, of course, you can also follow us on our personal Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. I am at Brian Moriarty. I'm at David C. McGuire, M-C-G-U-I-R-E. Exactly. And of course, uh, Mr. Brickmont at the Brickmont, if you want to still see him do his tweets while he is, he is away. Uh, we will say that during his time, while he's in his coma, you, we will have updated tweets. Yeah. And what to... a terrible time too, right? With the birth, on the birth of his child, he won't even be there to witness it. It's a sick, sick person. It's awful. Nevertheless, tweet him. So, and you know what? While you're at it, we've slowly been, but surely been getting a really wide audience. We'd like to ask you guys, if you have a moment to you know if you've listened to our show for a while give us a review you can review us through itunes we really appreciate that uh you know one to five star rating preferably five um and then you know give us a little blurb about what you like about the show and tell us what you don't like we listen because we want to be able to make the show better for you the listener absolutely and if you really like the show you know and if you have it in your heart and of course as we say in your wallet please by all means go to nerdonomy.com click on that donate button and help us out with a small donation. No amount is too small. If you can't afford to make a donation, we fully understand. We also have those affiliate links that you can use to, you know, get your own business taken care of, but yet at the same time help our business out. Hey, you scratch our back, we scratch your back. You know what I'm saying? Quid okay. pro quo. Quid pro quo, Mr. McGuire. Quid <laughs> pro quo. Quid pro quo, Clarice. <laughs> All right. And hey, Dave, thanks for... Uh, subbing this week we really appreciate it yeah yeah absolutely it was great I, this is a lot it, of fun yeah i i uh i enjoyed every minute as you can tell yeah dude yeah. by my pages of notes yeah and old school too with the legal pad love I it i stole it from work oh <laughs> that's good uh well um we won't mention your company but if uh, any of the work co-workers know that you do a podcast well you can now fire david so um <laughs> uh thanks and of course you're always welcome back thank you very much i'm show man 
And we hope you enjoyed our first mystery guest. Tune in next week for our next mystery guests. Until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Oh man, Brian, I really thank you so much for uh for having me. Why'd you uh why'd you shut the lights off? Uh, oh, oh god. Hey, um Brian, the lights like right in my face. I just Can you can you turn it down? This is oh, No God. I have a few questions for you. Uh yeah. Do we have to talk like this though? Yeah, where were you the night of the twenty fifth? what? Where were you on February twenty fifth? I was here recording with you. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Why are you writing that down? Oh, it's just for you know, for my little investigation here. Um, tell me, do you do you have any any history with with uh, with firearms? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've gone to a shooting range with my dad. I mean, I've 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 fired you know a couple of guns before in my day. Sure. So you so you admit that you have proficiency with 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 firing a handgun. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm proficient. How about with a nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol? That's really specific, Brian. I mean, I don't wait a minute. No, me? No, I would never. I was driving here in my car, and I was, I was like, oh no, I gotta get to the cave because I gotta help Brian out, and that's when I saw, as I was pulling up, the ambulance as it was rushing Eric. Off to the hospital. Do you really expect me to believe that? Yes. Uh, all right.